0: Hey, good morning, everybody. So good to be with you this morning. Uh, if you came in through the front way, which I don't know if there's any other way to come in through uh, to get to the church, you probably saw a whole mess out there. I'm excited to talk about that. Uh, uh, don't know if you got a, a few seconds to check it out on your way in, but today is, uh, for all intents and purposes, Global Vision Sunday is what we're calling it today. Uh, normally, if you're, if you're here visiting uh, or this is your first time, we generally go through books of the Bible together. We love studying the Bible on Sunday mornings as an act of worship, going through whole books of the Bible. Uh, we are right in the middle of 1 Peter, a series called A, a Change in Allegiance. Um, but we are taking a break from our regularly scheduled series to drill down on a particular topic. So far, we've been going through uh, First Peter, which is largely a book about Christians being exiles. And Peter's message to Christian exiles is one of two things, or two things, really. You are called as citizens of God's kingdom, so you don't belong here, and yet you are sent here with an intent and a purpose, and so this is, this is kind of the Christian life. Our life here in Santa Barbara is one that's on mission. We don't belong here, but we're here for an intent and a purpose. We're here to be set apart, and yet we're here, to be, we're, we're here uh, as people who are sent but set apart. And so I wanted to take a, a, a break from that scheduled series, which is largely about the mission of the church, to drill down more deeply about what mission looks like specifically for Reality Santa Barbara. So today is Global Vision Sunday. It's a little different than what we normally do, um, but this if you are a part of this church, I'm really glad you're here, because what we're gonna be talking about for the next 40, 50 minutes, 60, 70, however the spirit leads, uh, will be basically what the plan is for our church for the next 10 to 20 years. This is big picture stuff. And so if if you call this your church, this is a great time for you to be here. Uh, For those of you that are visiting, love that you're here. Sorry that it's a little different. Um, But my hope for you is that you will get a picture and a glimpse of God's heart for the world and for the lost. And maybe in that, you'll also see what God has charged his church to do. You'll leave with an understanding of God's heart uh, and what the church is supposed to do about that. But uh, without further ado... I'm going to read from the, uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. That's our text today. Matthew 24:14. You can turn in your Bibles with me to that verse. Um, many of you come in with uh, your mobile devices. Your Bibles are on that. If you're wondering, I read out of the ESV every week. So uh, if you need to know what translation I'm reading from, you can open up the ESV app. And we are in Matthew 24, verse 14. This is what the gospel writer, quoting Jesus, this is Jesus speaking, he says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you with our hearts open, our minds still before you, with this powerful charge, promise even, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we're asking that today you would do a powerful work in our hearts to receive all that you have said. I know, Lord, we come in to church gatherings, and we hear talk about mission, it's very easy to shut off and think, like, that's happening out there, that's happening somewhere that doesn't affect me. But God, I just pray by the power of your Holy Spirit today that you would wrestle into our hearts a big, giant vision of your kingdom coming on earth today. I pray that it would be so large, so grand so giant in our minds and hearts that it would thrill us even in the small day-to-day undertakings from Monday to Saturday. God, we're asking for a big view of your kingdom. We're asking for our hearts to melt together with your heart, for the things that you care about and desire to overwhelm our desires and ambitions. And we're asking, Lord, at the very beginning that you would give us a heart for the world, Give us a greater capacity than even what we are able to concoct on our own. Stretch the faith, stretch the desires. stretch the burden, stretch the, uh, uh, the love in our hearts. Beyond what we're able to pour out, we ask that the love of the Father would be poured abroad into our hearts by the Holy Spirit and we ask for greater things. We ask that it would start in each of our lives. It would spill out into our communities, into the city of Santa Barbara and outside of the city into the world. We pray that we would know for the remaining years, Lord, that you would have us on earth, that our lives are not wasted, that they are perfectly aligned with the kingdom of the living God. Thank you that the kingdom is yours, Christ, the power, the glory, and the honor it is just our happy joy as your willing subjects and worshipers to look at you and say, yes, God, do it all and use us too. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Short verse, packs a punch. There's three things happening here that I just want to juggle around in our minds and kind of explore as we move forward, that uh, one of them is the Gospel of the kingdom. We've spoken a lot about the Gospel of the kingdom. I try to talk about the Gospel of the kingdom uh, every Sunday. But it's essentially this: It's not uh, the good news that you have done really well, and so God approves of you. That's not the gospel nor is it merely that uh, he died so that your sins can be forgiven, so that you can kind of sit off to the corner and not break anything in his heavenly home. But the gospel of the kingdom is this giant story, right? It's this story that Christ fulfills, that there is a kingdom available to people who could not previously get into that kingdom, and Jesus is the one who brings the kingdom to them. He makes it accessible. He, he brings it near. The gospel of the kingdom, the story of history, is being brought to this fulfillment in this one man, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again, and is bringing the kingdom of heaven to bear on people's lives. Gospel of the kingdom, in a nutshell. This is to be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then I love this line, and then the end will come, right? Right? Now, he's not speaking, Jesus isn't saying the end, he's not speaking about Armageddon, like the end of the world, like when you preach the gospel too much, then everything will blow up. He's not talking about the second temple being destroyed. He's not talking about any of those things. He's referring specifically to the return of Jesus Christ. That thing that we spoke about a couple weeks ago in 1 Peter when it says that we are to fix our, our minds on the grace to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ that every, every ounce of hope that we have in this life is hinged on him coming back again. And when he comes back, he will make all things new. He will restore the broken. He will wipe every tear. He will uh, eradicate evil and suffering, and he will fulfill everything within his plans and promises. That is the end. Jesus is right now saying that the preaching or the proclaiming of the gospel of the kingdom is somehow tied in a very tangible way, to his second coming. Now I know, he also says in another place, no one knows the day nor the hour. No one knows when he's going to come. It's going to come like a thief in the night. But here in this verse, there seems to be this, this almost cause and effect. And he's not even, it's not even an if-then statement. He's not saying, if you preach the gospel, then I will come. He's saying, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached. And then... The end will come. A cause and effect relationship with almost what feels to me like space for participation. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed to all nations and then the end will come. Here's the reason why we're talking about global mission this Sunday. Taking a break from everything else is because of two words in Jesus' own statement, all nations. If it's the gospel being proclaimed, that's what it is, and this is what's going to happen, he's going to come back, everything then draws like a fulcrum upon two words, all nations. For those of you that maybe don't know why Reality Santa Barbara exists, I'll tell you, it exists for people to know Christ together and to be conformed to his life and mission. That's why we're here. So people can know Jesus, and in knowing Jesus, be conformed to his life and mission. Now that last thing, that mission, I've explained uh, for many months, uh, a number of months, what that looks like for us. What does mission mean? Well, in January, you might have remembered this, uh, in January I spoke a little bit about reality's mission. It's in three different aspects, right? Mission for reality Santa Barbara looks this way. Number one, it looks local. Mission is local, meaning that if you are a believer, if you're a Christian, you are on mission. You are a missionary in a very tangible way wherever you happen to live. So if you live in Santa Barbara, Galita, Isla Vista, you are on mission in those towns, in your vocation, in your place of recreation, in your family, in your neighborhood. This is exactly what we've been going through through the book of First Peter, right? What it means to be uh, sent to Santa Barbara but also set apart for God's holy purposes. So one, we would have to say, what does mission look like for uh, Reality Santa Barbara? It looks like local mission. The second thing we talked about in January was it's strategic, and this really has to do with church planning. Remember all that? We started in the fall with Tim Chaddock preaching uh, uh, here in Santa Barbara, and we uh, Locked our hearts onto uh, several church plants coming up. Tim planting uh, Reality in London, and then Riz did a sermon. We fastened our hearts to him and his family as he was plant, uh, is beginning to plant a church in uh, Honolulu. Reality Honolulu, we love church planting. That is strategic mission. We want to we wanna be on mission here locally, but we also want to go into cities and plant churches. Prayer tours will be following the rest of this year forever. Uh, and that's something that we're very passionate about. We got nine-month introduction to that as a church. But then there was another thing that I kind of hinted at. I said, there's also global mission. And in January, before uh, those series leading up to London and Honolulu, I don't know if you remember this, but I, I gave a little teaser about global mission and said, we will be addressing this later in the year. Do you remember that? Well, today is the day. I want to today explain our vision for this third aspect of Reality Santa Barbara's mission. Mission to the nations, not just our town, not just cities in America, but nations in the world. And this is something that has always been a part of reality's DNA. We love the nations. Over the course of the last decade, reality has sent out 225 people to 44 different countries, many of whom have come from this church, just a bunch of UCSB students just going anywhere, like send me, it's amazing. That hasn't really changed. What's changed in the uh, coming years has been an added clarity and a focus on that global mission. We're sensing a call now, not just to go anywhere in the world, but to go where very few or no one else in the world is going. So here's where our focus is. Jesus says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. We want to go to all nations. Now, the tricky part about that word in the English is that we have a connotation of what nations are. You probably, when you hear the word nation, think of geographical space, right? You think of national boundary lines. What is a nation? Well, the nation of France, you know, the nation of Nigeria, the nation of Texas, you know, whatever, But the word that Jesus is using here that gets translated into the English word nation is actually tas ethnos. Tas ethnos refers not to a geographical boundary line. It refers to a body of people united by things like kinship, culture, common traditions, and language. Probably a more helpful term To translate would be, instead of nations, would be the term people groups. In fact, some Bible translations will put people groups in that particular translation. Now, while many geographical boundary lines have in some sense been reached, like you could say, yeah, the gospel has gone into France or Pakistan or whatever it is, it's not true that every people group within that nation has been reached. These are what you might call unreached people groups or UPGs, what are unreached people groups? Well, I wanna start by clarifying what I'm not talking about. This is, what I, this is not what I mean when I say unreached people groups. An unreached people group, I'm, I'm not talking, first of all, about anyone that you know who hasn't heard the gospel, right? So like your neighbor hasn't heard the gospel. Perhaps you have a neighbor across the street who has rejected God. Maybe you've never talked to them. Maybe they've never even heard the gospel. But the difference between them and an unreached people group is your neighbor has access to the gospel. Your neighbor, even if they've rejected God, can still go down the street, like here on uh, Annapamu Street, and go to a number of different churches that are available to them. They could go to the Baptist church on Figueroa and Anapamu, right there. They can come to Reality Santa Barbara. They can go to the church that's meeting over at the junior high. Or if they don't want to go to a church, they can, uh, they can knock on your door. If you're a First Peter Christian that's living faithful, and they know that you're a believer, they can talk to you. Or they can pick up a Bible that has been translated into their language. Access. So they're not unreached in that sense. I'm not talking about just your neighbor. I'm also not only referring to poor, underdeveloped societies or tribes in the jungle, although that that could be included. But we're also talking about unreached people groups in places like Saudi Arabia, rich, advanced cities who have no access to the gospel or to a church. Enough about what I don't mean when I speak about unreached people groups, here's what I do mean. What is an unreached people group? This is really important. Uh, And for that, I just wanna turn your attention to a video that we're gonna play. This is gonna explain everything right now.
1: What is a UPG? UPG stands for unreached people group. But to understand what that means, we need to first talk about people groups. When Jesus told his followers, go and make disciples of all nations, The Greek words he used were ta-ethne, meaning all ethnic groups or people groups. So what is a people group? A people group is basically a group of individuals that have a common sense of history, language, beliefs, and identity. It is pretty much a group of people that considers us, us, and everyone else, them. While there are about 196 countries in the world today, there are over 16,000 distinct people groups. Let's look at Pakistan as an example. That is one nation going by our English word, but ethnically Pakistan has over 400 distinct nations, or people groups, within its borders. Around 7,000 of those 16,000 total people groups are considered UPGs, or unreached people groups. A group is considered unreached if less than 2% of their population is evangelical Christian. That is, it has too few true believers to evangelize and disciple the rest of the people group. Almost 3 billion people fall into this category. Over 3,000 of those 7,000 unreached people groups are considered UUPGs, or Unengaged Unreached People Groups. These people groups have no churches, no believers, no missionaries, and no one actively focused on engaging them. 95% of all unreached people groups are located in the part of the world between 10 degrees latitude and 40 degrees latitude stretching from North Africa to Southeast Asia. We call this the 1040 window. It's in the 1040 window that most of the major non-Christian religions hold sway. Collectively, they are known as the Thumb People, tribal, Hindu, unreligious, including many Chinese, Muslim, and Buddhist, Jesus said that the gospel of the kingdom would be preached as a testimony to ta ethne, all people groups, and then the end would come. Less than 3% of our total cross-cultural missionary force is working with unreached people groups. We must go to the unreached. At the same time, it's estimated that over 350 unreached people groups are living in the United States today as immigrants, refugees, and international students. We must welcome the unreached. Christ commands us to make disciples of all nations. Jesus is alive. His mission for us is clear, yet the task stands incomplete. Together, we can change that.
0: Does that make sense? An unreached people group is an ethnic people group without a local indigenous church effectively able to make disciples of their own people. Often it means that the Christian presence in that people group is less than 2%. Not enough. Uh, you might have, I think, I hope you got a flyer on your way in here. Uh, if you didn't, there's some out there. Uh, but on the, <clears throat> on the back are some of these definitions. I want you to take that home. Put it on your refrigerator. Look at it. 7,000 of these unreached people groups in the world today, or UPGs, 3,000 of them are actually unengaged people groups. The population of unreached people in the world is, um, uh, amounts to 3 billion people who don't have access to the gospel, and 95% of all of those people live within a sliver of the world, which you saw called the 1040 window. Are you starting to see where our focus is going? You may ask, Well, I see what you're saying, I see the need, I read the scripture, but why should we care? I live in Santa Barbara, just trying to pay my bills. Why should I care about some unreached people group off in the 1040 window? That, my friend, is the easiest question I'll answer today. Because Jesus. Because of Jesus. First of all, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think one of the most formative seasons in our life as a church was when we went through the Sermon on the Mount specifically the beatitudes. If you remember that season in our church, the message of the sermon on the mount of the beatitudes was not try harder so that you can get into the kingdom, but it was largely that the the, mes- the message that Jesus was preaching in the beatitudes was that he was making the kingdom of God available for the first time in history to those who were least likely to be reached. But for the first time in history, Christ was bringing the kingdom to bear on those who are least likely to be noticed, least likely to be valued, least likely to be loved, least likely to be seen. And at the beginning of that series I don't know if you remember this but I charged you to do something, because we were looking at it, we saw that some of the things that Jesus was saying were going to be hard. And I remember this. I don't know if you remember, but I said, I want us just to take Jesus' words seriously. Let's endeavor everything that he says. Let's just take it seriously and actually do it and see what happens to our lives. And you remember that? We're still doing that today. Not only is it the gospel that we see in the Sermon on the Mount, that the kingdom of God is being made available to those who are unreached, but he actually gives us specific commands. The, the famous great commission. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of ta'efne all nations, all people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the very ed- end of the age. He actually tells us to do this. But it's not just the gospel, it's not just specific commands where he tells us to go reach the nations, it's also the end goal and the vision of all things that we get a glimpse of because of the Apostle John. Look at what John sees in Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 through 10. It says, "'After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, saying, "'Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb.'" John sees the fulfillment of Christ's promise. And who could forget the most famous verse in the Bible? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have have eternal life. Why should we care about the unreached? Because Christ cares about the unreached. Now, we've always cared as a church. We have mission in our DNA and in our blood. We just find ourselves caring differently now. I'd I'd say with a more focused clarity than before. And largely because of this other verse that Jesus speaks about. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to ta ethne, all nations, all people groups. And then the end will come. So it's, it's not merely that we have a need, although we do, 7,000 unreached people groups in the world today amounting to 3 billion people that don't know Christ. There's a need. It's not just that we have a command by Jesus, although we do go into all the world and preach the gospel to all people groups. It's also that he has given us a tangible opportunity. It's not just a need or a command, but a tangible opportunity by our Lord himself who guarantees the results You see what he's saying here? He's given us a task to finish. A task with clear, measurable goals and a promise to bless it and to be in it himself. Lo, I am with you, and behold, always to the end of the age. So the question we should be asking ourselves is how are we doing with that task? For that, I want to show you one more video. Screen.
1: Jesus told us 2,000 years ago that our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. He also promised us that only after we accomplish that task will we receive the blessing of his return. So, how are we doing accomplishing our mission? To answer that, let's classify the 7 billion people on the earth today into three groups. Let's start with the Christians. About 33% of the world's population would identify itself as Christian. We call this segment of the population... World C, C for Christian. It's important to remember that not all of the people that fall into World C are true believers in Christ. They merely identify themselves as Christian because of nominal belief in Jesus or because they live in a country where everyone is considered Christian, so they would do the same. Next, there's the 38% of the world that has access to the gospel but has chosen not to follow Jesus. They have Bibles in their language, churches nearby, friends or co-workers who are potentially Christians, or access to other Christian resources in their language. These people have access to the good news, but just haven't acted on it yet. This segment of the population is called World B. That leaves us with 29% of the world, just over one out of every four people on this planet who not only have never heard of Jesus, they have no chance of hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. They have no access to the Gospel, no Bibles, no churches, no believers nearby, no chance to learn about Jesus. We call that 29% World A. Now on to missionaries. Only one out of every 1,800 Christians in World C decides to serve as a cross-cultural missionary. So, we can pull 400,000 missionaries out of that World C population. That's our total cross-cultural missionary force worldwide. Did you know that 72% of all our missionaries are going to World C? That's right! The vast majority of the missionaries being sent out are going to the people of the world that have Bibles and established churches. 25% of the missionaries are sent to World B where there is already some access to the church and to the Bible. That leaves only 3% of the total missionary force to handle all of World A, the section of the population without any chance of hearing about Jesus. 29% 29% of the world has no way to hear the gospel, but we're sending only a tiny portion of our Christian workers to them. What about finances? Annually, all those Christians in World see earn a total of $42 trillion. And, together, they give about $700 billion to Christian causes each year. That includes everything. Christian nonprofits, churches, youth programs, missions, etc. Can you do the math? less than 2% of Christian income is being given to Christ's causes. Out of that $700 billion given to all Christian causes, only $45 billion is given to missions specifically. That's a little over 6%. In fact, there is more money reported embezzled from the church each year than is given to missions. Remember those 400,000 missionaries? We have $45 billion to support them and their cross-cultural work, but how exactly is it allocated? Well. $39 billion goes to World C every year. Yep, 87% of that mission's money is being spent in areas of the world that have Bibles and churches available. 5.4 billion, or 12%, goes to World B each year, those that have access to the gospel message but have rejected it. That leaves only $450 million, or 1% of all mission's money going to World A, the least reached people of the world. To put that into perspective, Annually Americans spend more money on Halloween costumes for their pets than get sent to World A. To summarize, only 3% of our missionary force, armed with only 1% of missions giving, is going out to reach the 2 billion people who don't have access to the gospel. 2 billion people are still waiting for the good news of Jesus Christ. So here's a question for you. What are you going to do to change that?
0: mercy on us Lord change our hearts O oh God give us your heart for the nations it's a horrible imbalance now to be fair there's a reason why only 3% go to places like that to be fair there's a reason why the unreached are unreached It's because it's hard, it's dangerous, it's costly, it's time consuming, it's a long term commitment. But I believe that God would steer in our hearts a greater capacity to believe and to hope in what he's able to do in the world through us. I believe that he would do something in our church in our hearts and in our minds that would say, I believe that you can do, I, can, I believe you could do more exceedingly abundantly beyond anything that we ask or think, even though it's hard. I feel as though God is stirring something already in us as a church that would be similar to what the Apostle Paul would say in Romans chapter 15 verse 20, where he said, and uh, uh, just sense the way, sensing the way that he felt He said, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Now, we've always cared about the nations. We're just beginning to care with a little more missional clarity, a little more laser focus. So we'll no longer always send Anywhere in the world in general, but rather try to send in particular. In particular, where Christ has not been known. Our heart is that we would make as a church, as a church family, the greatest possible impact on the lost in our lifetimes. And so to do that, we want to participate in correcting the imbalance with only 3% of the world's Christian missionary force going to unreached people groups, that means 97% going to already reached areas, and with only 1% of all Christian giving going to uh, reached, uh, uh, unreached people groups, this is simply a wrong imbalance. And if people aren't being reached, it's not because Christ's heart isn't into it. Jesus himself said the harvest is plentiful. You can, almost, you can almost hear Jesus on the edge of his seat saying it's, it's just waiting, like the fruit is waiting to tear off the tree. What's the problem? The laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We want to do that. Now, a little caveat. It's, it is good to keep sending people to the reached, Okay? That's why we're here. Y'all are reached. You have access to churches and Bibles and all of that stuff, and yet we continue to do that because we have to. That's just called discipleship, right? And so it is a good thing to keep sending people to reached areas, and we as a church will honor our current obligations as a church to our missionaries, and we will bless those in our body who feel called to reached areas, no problem. We just want to focus our endeavors on the others, on those who have no hope. And so we are headed towards 100% of our global focus and resources going to the unreached. Yeah, praise God. You can get excited about that. And you might ask, well, easier said than done. How do we plan on finishing the task? I want to give you three things to chew on right now. One, it's going to be by basic, basic communicating of Jesus' command and connecting it with reality's global vision. I'm going to talk about it a lot. Two, it's going to, be, it's going to entail us discovering the call to places and, and people in particular. We're going to have to pray together. And, and how awesome would this be? We don't, we don't have a people group in mind. That's the awesome part. How awesome would it be if God gave us a collective vision together of like some group out there that doesn't know Jesus and it just began to burn in our hearts for the next 10 years? Could be the Arab Gulf. Could be Indonesia. Those are some of the places that are just stirring in our hearts. We just don't know. Let's pray together. I hope you'll pray and just ask the Lord, like, where would you send us? What is clear is that we do seem to sense a specific calling to that little sliver of the world called the 1040 window. We want it. The third thing is by developing a cohesive strategy to reach the unreached and the unengaged. This means resource allocation. This means partner development. There's a group called Frontiers, the, the their staff is actually out there waiting to talk to you if you'd like to ask them questions. There's exhaustive, extensive training in long-term missions for uh, things like this. It's a big deal. And there's something called church-based teams, or CBTs. A church-based team is basically a small missions team. It's like six to eight people, really small, that is formed, sent out, and coached under the authority of a local church or a family of churches. That church takes responsibility for the sending process of the team, and the team has a shared vision and the values of that sending church. It's family being sent out, just like when we plant churches, but smaller. And the model resembles what you might see in Acts chapter 13. That's how we're going to do it. As you can see, this isn't just us sending random individuals, you know, to the 1040 window on spring break for two weeks. This is deeply involved, deeply committed, long-term. Which brings us to this. What does it really mean to reach an unreached people group? How would you know if that actually happened? And it's important to clarify that we, we don't speak of the task in terms of reaching every person, okay? We're not talking about reaching everybody in a particular uh, uh, city or a people group. Rather, we speak of a church for every people. We love planting churches. Put it into uh, the words of um, the Gandalf of church planning, Timothy Keller, who once said, and we reality agree with this, the vigorous continual planting of new congregations is the single most crucial strategy for the numerical growth of the body of Christ in any city and for the continual corporate renewal and revival of the existing churches in that city. So the essential missionary task for us is to establish what we might call viable indigenous church planting movements that carry the potential to renew whole extended families and transform whole societies. I kind of threw a load of, of, of verbiage at you. Let me explain all of what I just said because it's really important. Viable indigenous church planting movements. What is that? Viable means it can grow on its own, Right? Indigenous means it's comprised of locals, and a movement means that it reproduces. So it is something that is comprised of locals that can grow on its own and rapidly reproduces. That's what we want. Only through these can whole people groups be evangelized. And so there's, there's this crazy dynamic where we're involved in this. Because it's an unreached people group, there are no churches doing that, and so there comes a need from the outside for people to pioneer that movement. That's why we're going in with church-based teams. Someone must come in from the outside to get that church started, but the only way a church in its own people group can actually thrive is if those outsiders kind of leave it to the insiders to take over. That's the type of thing we're talking about. So when a group is reached, we're saying that that people group now has a viable indigenous church planting movement capable of evangelizing their own people and working towards the renewal of its own culture. That's our hope and our dream. Clarification. When I speak about churches and church planting I want to give you a sense of what I'm not talking about, right? There's a picture on the screen right now. This is what this is what I do not mean when I speak about churches, right? Anyone recognize yourself in that? I see Molly over there, Fong, there you are, Nikki, Dennis. That's our church, right? I'm not talking about hundreds of people meeting in a theater in uh, downtown Pakistan. Okay, here's what I mean. Show the next picture. That's a church. That's what we're talking about. That's the type of church that could rapidly reproduce and catch fire and start other churches. What we're talking about here is not kind of the American idea of church that we are so used to, but really a a small house or cell church. These are small gatherings of 5 to 25 people that meet in homes and public spaces. And because they're so small, they are easily able to replicate and make the gospel accessible across the community, thus starting a movement of the gospel. Church planning among the unreached requires church multiplication because unlike here in Santa Barbara, over there, there aren't churches on every block. And so you need to multiply churches. You need to keep starting them fast, now, at this point, you might be feeling a little bit overwhelmed. Anyone overwhelmed? Too much stuff? Okay, I'll slow down. I want to just stop right here just to tell you, if this is overwhelming, you're like, gosh, this is a lot of stuff, a lot of vernacular, a lot of lingo, a lot of to-do. I just want you to know that the goal of starting church planning movements in other nations is within our reach. You Guys, we can actually do this. And I don't just mean me, like up here doing it, like us. There's a part to play for all of us. We could see this happen in our lifetime. We can inspire and mobilize and obey. Perhaps we could even lead our other brothers and sisters in other churches to do the same. Nobody is doing this. Very few people are doing this. What if we actually did it and it worked, and other people are like, oh, we could do that too? What if we changed mission in, Amer- in the American nation? Now, we're not alone in this. There's a few people out there doing it, but there could be so many more. I want to show you this chart uh, on the screen. I think we have it. This is the growth of churches uh, from the past few years, starting, I don't know if you can see this, but eighty, one hundred, 100, just a little bit after the apostle John died, all the way to 2010. This is the growth of the church. Now, this, uh, these numbers over here means... Uh, there is, by the time the Apostle John died, there was one church for every 12 people groups available, right? I want you to see how the church has exploded. Coming down over this way, a th- uh, year 1000, there's one church for every five people groups and so on. As you see this exponential growth of the body of Christ. You know what this is saying? We hear a lot about the growth of terrorism in the world today and Islam, and secularism, and consumerism. We also hear a lot about Christianity dying. Now, it might be true in America, right? It might be true in Western Europe. But globally speaking, Christianity is on fire, people. Globally speaking, Christianity is exploding all over the planet at a pace that is unprecedented in history. We started over here, can you put that graphic back on? Over here, after the time of Jesus, there is one uh, church for every 12 people groups. Fast forward to our time, there is a 1,000 churches for every one people group. If we wanted to man our resources and focus them in the right areas, we could evangelize the world in our lifetime. If the church just woke up to that. We live during an unprecedented move of God among the lost. Christianity is not dying, globally speaking. It is skyrocketing. More people have followed Jesus in the last century than in all the previous centuries combined. I want to show you uh, this second chart about the percentage of practicing Christians making up the total world population since the 1900s. So there's the 1900s, there's us in 2010. Look at this. It took 18 centuries, 1800 years, just to get over uh, from, from one end to the other. It took 1800 years for practicing Christians to grow from 0% of the world's population to just 2.5, right? Almost two millennia. It only took 70 years to grow from 2.5 to 5% of the world's population, more than double in 70 years. And it only took 40 years to get from 5% to 12% by the year 2010, more than double. Do you see what I'm trying to tell you right now? In just the last 40 years, the population of Christians in the world today has skyrocketed at an uh, unprecedented exponential rate of growth. Christianity is exploding. Why would it ever do that? I don't know, something about what Jesus said about the light shining in the darkness and the darkness not able to overcome it? That comes to mind. Or when he said that, the, the, that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? When Jesus came out uh, just firing, just fiery out the door saying with me comes the kingdom and I'm gonna establish the kingdom? Could be it. All I know is today there are more people alive who call themselves Christians than in all the previous generations put together. And that in AD shortly after the time of Jesus, there was one... Christian for every 360 people in the world. Today, 2016, there is one Christian for every seven people. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. It's actually powerful. With an unprecedented move of God among the lost in our day. This is a good day to be alive comes an unprecedented opportunity for the church today. God is doing something extraordinary before us, where we see Revelation 7 actually happening before our eyes. We see the fruit on the tree, and we're being beckoned to just grab it off. The harvest is plentiful. And yet something very specific and special about our church is that we actually have the capacity and ability to carry this out. It would be awesome if churches just, their, their hearts were moved towards this. But even if they were, not every church can do this. We've actually been poised by God over the last 10 years to actually be able to do something. We're uniquely blessed as a church to reach the unreached. This is unbelievable, you guys. We have the vision. We have the resources. We have the people We have the mission. We have the money. We have the infrastructure, our global mission infrastructure. We can actually do this. What would happen if we knew what we could accomplish? Jesus says, it's not just a need. It's not just a command. It's a tangible, realistic opportunity and I'm laying it in your lap as a steward of my kingdom. Brothers and sisters, I'm just here today to say, I want to be a part of it. A whole people group? What if this little beach town church, little blip on the screen, little blip on the map, was able to reach an entire nation group in 20 years? Or two? What if the, the names that I, I'm praying for with my daughter Abby, by the time she's a teenager, I'm able to say, hey, you remember that? reached. What if you met a people group in heaven surrounding the throne of, a throne of God, the people you've never seen but you've always prayed for for decades, worshiping and praising God not as one group that reached the other but as two people groups who were previously unreached casting your crowns before the king of glory. Part of my passion in this has been because looking back, just on a personal note, I just don't want to waste any more of my life. From the time I was 17 until I was 27, those years, when I look back, I have largely wasted. I have nothing to account for them. I lived all of those years. They're supposed to be the best years of your life. That's what we were told. I wasted them on myself. I have nothing to account for those years. And while I'm still young, I'm 35, I find myself increasingly aware of the fact that I waste so much time. And I don't want to waste the next 10 years of my life. I also don't want to waste the next 10 years of the life of this church. You know how we could waste our lives together? By becoming a social club. A club for the righteous and the healthy. And we're not that. I love this church. This is a thriving, full, vibrant group of men and women, young and old, who want to pursue Christ and obey Him. I love this church. But it can happen to us. This is what happens to churches churches that are thriving and bumping and on mission can within years become stagnant and inward focused. How does it happen? It happens when you lose your sense of mission. It happens when you forget and you point all of that attention inward and you start to forget about the outward. And that will happen to us, brothers and sisters, the moment that we forget that we are a kingdom people on mission, we will start to turn into that social club. When that happens, fire me then. Or I'll quit. But God forbid, let us always be a missional-minded people. And I can't think of a more compelling vision for mission than to reach the three billion people, or at least a few of them, that have never heard of the gospel. Two things about developing a heart for the unreached. One, it just has to be a work of God in us. I'm not trying to force you to get on board. This is not something you can force yourself to be excited about. It has to be God's work in you. So pray and ask, Lord, what, what are you doing? Are you stirring something up in my heart? What does that even look like? I don't even know. This is so much. What do I do? But if he stirs up in your heart, it also has to take expression through us. It has to be a work of God in us, but it also has to be an expression through us, meaning we've got to do something. And there is a part to play for anyone at this church who calls this their church. I don't want you to coast lightly into this. This is going to be our mission for the next 10 to 20 years. I'm going to be harping on it a lot. I'm going to be doing it. So you should probably know if you want to be hearing about it that much. Start by praying. There are a variety of ways for each and every one of us to be involved. You know, not everyone here is going to pack their bags and move to the Arab Gulf, right? Right? But there are some, here in this church actually, right now, who are planning and training and preparing to pack their bags and to move. There are other people who are praying about it, who are just asking the Lord, what does it look like? There are still others who are supporting through giving, through prayer, through connection, through all sorts of different things. There are so many areas to invest and send, and that's all that matters to us is that you would open up your heart to the world, not just yourself or Santa Barbara, and say, Lord, I want to be eager and willing to invest and send. This might seem like a no-brainer, but it's not. Remember, very few churchgoers in our nation today care, or at least are tangibly doing, I should say, anything about the unreached. We want to change that, starting with ourselves. And with all of these things, it starts with prayer. The elders... Our leaders, our staff, our missions team, we've been praying about this thing for two years. We didn't want to lob just the biggest thing ever in your lap without giving it thought and prayer. We've been marinating it in prayer for two years, making sure that it's it's the Lord. And today, this morning, I want to invite you into that journey as well to pray. Instead of singing for an extended period this morning, we're gonna do something a little different. We're gonna, I'm actually gonna ask the worship team to come back up. We're gonna do one song. And then as our act of worship, I want us to respond to God's heart for the nations. On your way in here, you saw a whole setup out there. You know what that is? There is, number one, a giant wall. I want you to go check out the wall. On that wall are the names of every 6,000-something unreached people group that exists. You can identify their names. I just gave you the data and the information. I want you to see their names. I want you to see their population. I want you to see their religion. Go through the wall and just begin to pray and ask the Lord, what are you doing in my heart? If you've got kids, go up to the wall with your kids and be like, hey, it's God pointing out a name. And take that name with you. Pray for these people groups. See what the Lord would do in your heart. He will change you for the rest of your life when you get a big picture of his kingdom. After that wall, there's three stations. One is called finishing the task. That's if you're hearing all of this and you're like, gosh, I, I want to do I, I I I'm feeling my heart is being stirred, but I just want to know more. Well at finishing the task, you can find info, articles, resources, breakdowns all of that stuff if you just want to learn more about what it means to reach the unreached. Or perhaps you're like, nah, I don't need any more information. This is too much information. I want to get busy. The next one is our missionary table. There you can do something now. You can give. You can connect with missionaries. You can pray. You can talk to people who are praying about being on church-based teams and, and just hear what they're processing. They're all out there right now. The sending team is out there. Third, there's a, a station called What You Can Do. This is if you, you want to do something, but you just don't know what or how. It's just too much. And the, at that station is everything from Little, you can sign your name up and someone will contact you, to Big. You can sign up for Perspectives of the, of the, of the World Christian Movement, a 16-week class Unreaching the Unreached. You can talk to Frontiers Ministries. You can do all sorts of stuff. You can uh, grab a flyer with names of people to pray for. But that is going to be our act of worship after we sing today, okay? It's going to step into the heart of God and to say, God, we see your heart for for the nations. What are you stirring up in mind? Can we do that together today? Heavenly Father, come before you. In the name of Jesus and ask that as we prepare our hearts, you would invade our hearts and give us your heart for the lost. God, I know this is a lot of information. I know perhaps it was a surprise maybe for some people, but God, you are you're able to speak one word into a person's heart and mind and change their lives forever. And I pray that you would do that for each individual in this room, that one word would go forward and you would tie it to our hearts and your will would be accomplished. I pray, God, that as we sing about your mission in the world, you would begin to stir up in our hearts an excitement. In that counterintuitive way that you do, where we stop thinking about our problems and our lives and our little pocket of the world and we start to see what you're doing around us, that counterintuitive way that it begins to actually heal our souls. Your souls be aligned with yours. And as you say, yeah, I I know your needs, I know what you're doing, but seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. God, the first thing that we leave with today, be a grand panoramic view of your coming kingdom. May it change everything. In Jesus' name.